Hi everyone, Lauren Hubele here, and this is Restoring Immunity, Explorations of Polyvagal Theory. Bessel van der Kolk, author of the widely referenced book, The Body Keeps the Score, tells us this about developmental trauma. Having a biological system that keeps pumping out stress hormones to deal with real or imagined threats leads to a host of physical problems. Sleep disturbances, headaches, unexplained pain, oversensitivity to touch and sound are just a few of those. If you own a sensitive or reactive system, you join thousands who are in search of support that doesn't overstimulate. Because your reaction is never the expected one, you can feel misunderstood, defeated, and broken. However, you are not broken. And often the very system that you turn to for support is trauma-inducing. As with all of our conversations, we don't claim to have the answers here but Megan Lemp and Cameron Scott and I will unpack the challenge faced by those with developmental trauma and offer some of our recent insights. Megan, welcome. And, and tell me what comes up for you when I bring up this topic. Oh, Lauren and Cameron, it's so great to be with you again. And I just am so pleased that we're diving in. And as you said, not offering solutions, but the path to solution always starts with asking the right questions. And I think that we're getting closer to that as we dive deeper into this conversation about trauma and particularly complex trauma. And I think that how we all experience that, although it has some similarities, is very individual. And I think it's important at the beginning of this to reiterate that these are not choices. This is biologically how we respond to perceived trauma in our life. And the question of um, what comes up for me automatically goes to my understanding of how the vital energy in the body moves through the lens of Asian medicine. And the, um, our most ancestral deepest energy that fuels all of our internal processes comes from um, what we call the kidney energy, which is the origin of our yin and yang balance in our body. And from there, you know, it manifests all different ways, but our ability to meet each moment and find um, a new homeostasis and a new balance in each moment depends on our balance of yin and yang. And that balance, the kidney has a very close relationship both with the endocrine system and with the autonomic nervous system. So when we have imbalance in either one of those areas sort of get caught in this loop where um, we are sending a message to all the cells in our body that we need to react and something is not safe and we are not sending the message 
that we have now reached safety and we can now return to homeostasis. So we continue in this loop round and round of um, our body uh, and sometimes our mind perceiving threat, whether it's there or not, and living again and again in every moment as, as if uh, we need to be responding as if there's a threat. And we end up exhausting ourselves and it becomes all encompassing. Mm. Very profound, Megan. Thanks for sharing that. Cameron, I know that you have uh, quite a bit to add in, in your thoughts on this and welcome Cameron. Um, can you help define these, this, this idea? I've heard Bessel van der Kolk refer to this as developmental trauma. We've called it complex trauma. Help break that down for our, our listeners. Yeah, and I love what Megan has shared with us and about how essentially our systems are looking for and trying to perceive that delicate, delicate sense of balance and safety. And trauma, I grew up with trauma being in my fourth decade of working as a trauma therapist in the Boston area with a lot of people who define trauma psychology, thanks to the you know, work of curious people around um, returning vets from Vietnam. But it's taken a long while to evolve to where it is. Trauma in and of itself is defined by overwhelming, life-threatening experience. And it's easy to understand if we have a well-developed sense of balance and you know strong immunity and strong tools, we could have a one-time adult experience of trauma, witnessing you know a horrible event, you know a huge loss, happened to be in the wrong place on the date of 9/11. Complex trauma is trauma that's experienced over time. So it's those lack of cues for safety in either what happened that was frightening or what didn't happen, which is the, the co-regulation. When we put it in developmental terms, we're talking about, you know, you look at the human being, it is born into this world perfectly helpless. It can do nothing for itself biologically. And as evolved as we are, we are fairly helpless biologically for decades, you know, as we come into fully developing. So complex trauma speaks to whether that um, balance of feeling safe enough has um, been met or not. And in many cases, that's, again, what I said, you know, a parent that's either frightening or essentially frightened, but are not able to meet the needs of a child in terms of providing those cues biologically, environmentally, um, you know, attachment wise to help the system develop that adequate balance. Cameron, that's really interesting. And in your practice, do you find you approach those differently, whether it's developmental trauma or complex trauma? No, because I think that most complex trauma is developmental. I mean, we could imagine a you know, scenario where somebody who's had a lot of balance ended up, for instance, living for years in a cult, which would you know, skew sure. on ongoing. But most of the people that I work with and the referral to complex PTSD, complex trauma, um, post-traumatic traumatic event is usually developmental because you see the greatest um, vulnerability in, in a system when it's young and that continued lack 
of being able to support it adequately into that resilient balance that Megan's talking about. You know, before we started recording, I, I was sharing that we really have two sides to this that present a challenge because we have a whole population out there in search, desperately in search of regulation, right? And what is being offered to them in, in goodwill, in, in, in complete goodwill is just not doing the trick. And um, then we have practitioners realizing this and also feeling lost and overwhelmed and um, this going on top of their own trauma history. And I, I'm just wondering what kind of hints or insights we might be able to share with folks today. I would say in my experience, one of the things that makes trauma often difficult, complex trauma, again, if someone has a single moment in life-changing moment in their life, that's easy to find. Complex trauma often emerges symptomatically as so many different things. And the vast majority of people I've treated over the year have come to me already feeling duly defeated. You know, it could be a physical state of pain. It could be a hypersensitive immune system. It could be fibromyalgia. It could be, you know, OCD, depression, anxiety, sleep disorder, I mean, you name it. And they've had diagnosis and well-intended treatment throughout these different events, but nothing has made them feel stronger. And in many cases made them feel more defeated. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, that's the same. I have the same experience in my practice and um, I can't help but thinking about uh, how, when we are looped into perceiving trauma again and again, we lose our sense of connection to ourselves and connection to each other. And that leaves us feeling untethered or without firm ground or without an anchor for us into safety. And I think that that's part of the question that we're exploring here because I think um, well-intended um, healthcare providers and practitioners of all modalities, uh, many of us are now slowly becoming more trauma-informed, but most of us were always well-intentioned, as Lauren said, and people come wanting to feel differently. And so we utilize our modality to try and affect change and often in cases of developmental or complex or deep traumas of all kinds, that movement and change in and of itself can feel very destabilizing. And we see an aggravation and it can bring up feelings of being untethered or not anchored and ultimately not safe, whether our mind intellectually is perceiving it that way or not. Physiologically, certainly, it can be perceived that way. And the feelings of what's going on inside of our body are, if we're tuned into them, our interoception can be very destabilizing for us also because we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
so I think one thing that is important to discuss here is that whether we are in a dorsal state, so an energy state of conservation, and we have sort of a flat shutdown response to trauma, and someone attempts to help us mobilize and shift that, that can be very destabilizing because we feel even more isolated or more untethered. And if we're in a more hyper-mobilized sympathetic state, a go-go state, and someone is attempting to help us, again, if we shift feeling untethered, I have several clients in this situation that tend to, um, their main coping mechanism is the sympathetic state. And when we attempt to ground, mm -hmm. sometimes they drop so quickly into dorsal when they feel not safe without realizing it, that then they feel bad in a different way. And so I think that the question that we're looking at is how we, you know, we've talked about the being with energy or the I am energy mm -hmm. learn has brought up. What we're getting at is how to show up for ourselves and each other in a way where we can offer this anchoring and this this really foundational sense of safety that allows change to happen organically. Megan, what you're saying is so profound. And what I think is really important to point out here is when we engage in this dance with the practitioner and the client, and, and we're, we're really a team, we're collaborating here, this um, defeat, can be felt equal on both sides. Because when we are sure we have a tool that we know will help stabilize and we want nothing more than to offer that stabilization and it doesn't work, quote unquote, it, it activates or it, it um, brings them into a dorsal state this is equally, and I, I probably am stretching it to say it, but I think it's traumatizing for the practitioner as well, um, because they begin to question, you know, and feel very unstable and untethered in what am I doing here? What is all this about? So whether you're a practitioner listening or um, someone seeking help or both, um, I think all, all of this applies. Cameron, you're nodding. What, what's I know, it's so absolutely, you know, on cue because we are all autonomic nervous systems and through connection, we are seeking that safe collaboration. But equally as, and this is my involvement as a practitioner, our neuroception, our autonomic nervous systems are listening well before any words have come out of our mouths. Mm -hmm. And I think of all those times that I've had someone new come into my office and they've talked to me a bit about their concerns and, and I go quickly to, oh, goody, how can I help you? Wait, wait, all right, we're gonna try this and we're gonna try that. And you can feel my energy is starting to get mobilized. It may be excitement to me, but the nervous system sitting with me is probably not going to perceive that as excitement. It's going to perceive that as a threat, 
and we've already lost the possibility for curiosity and connection within the first minute. And then the harder we can't attain that wonderful ventral vagal presence and curiosity and be offering generous cues for safety, it's, it's all down, down the ladder from there, starting with the practitioner and affecting deeply the other autonomic nervous system. So one of the hardest things in training polyvagal theory is that realization that we, anytime we involve, involve another autonomic nervous system, if we are a practitioner, it really is, and Deb Dana will say, our responsibility to stay regulated enough to really offer that place of safety that promotes the curiosity and the possibility for change. Because as you both said, change is scary to a dysregulated system. It can be overwhelming and it just plain old not safe. And it's going to get messy because we don't have an answer. We simply have the ability to collaborate. Cameron, I want to underline the word messy right here, and I'd really like to put it up in neon lights for everyone. Folks, this is a messy process, and whether uh, whatever position you're in, healing is messy. It's not linear, and our nervous system doesn't heal in a linear fashion. Something's going to trigger us our, that we when we least expect it. And I, I think that's so important that you're saying that, that there's so many things I would like to underline here, but um, I don't know that we've ever brought that up in this podcast series, that, that very important thing about it is a messy process and to accept that. And you're not different if yours is messy. Yes, but I wanna say that the experience of messy with cues and invitations for safety and the experience of messy without that oh. sense of connection is so fundamentally different. Sure. Think briefly of the little kid learning how to drink out of a cup. <laughs> it's going to be messy. You know, just bringing a, a cup to one's lips as a little kid, there are going to be spills. I mean, literally messiness. So the little kid spills, and someone says, "Now look what you've done." That no, no, no. That's not how you do it. It no, no. You're supposed to do it this way, as opposed to the invitations like. Oh, well, look what happened. That's okay. We learned something, didn't we? So let's let's try it again. Yeah. Cameron, thank you uh, for that. Yeah. Cameron, I think what you just said, if we can offer ourselves and each other that talk about a recalibration, oh, look what happened. We learned something from that. Let's try it again. Universally applicable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, Megan, yes, and yes, no, that, that's true. And I know in my teaching of practitioners, that it is constantly what I'm offering is, is to be curious and create that curiosity in your client as well. This is an exploration. We yeah. don't know how exactly this is going to be respond, but taking the line from you, Cameron, if we can offer cues of safety in that messy exploration, then, then we're, we're holding the space for someone. And curiosity is only possible with enough ventral yeah. vagal. Oh, yeah. Any moments there are systems for whatever reason are cued into uh, 
a survival strategy, we, we lose that as a, a tool, as a possibility at all of curiosity. Yeah, if only every teacher learned that, right? <laughs> So I want to go back to something you said, Megan, because it, it ties into some um, off-recording conversations Cameron I've, I, I've had that you said sometimes when someone's in this dorsal state and we try to offer them a tool, and let's just say gemotherapy extracts. I mean, why not? Um, <laughs> that that we offer them something that might mobilize them, that that could make them feel unstable if it mobilizes them in a disorganized way. Let's explore that a little bit from your perspective, Megan. And then I think Cameron's had some recent experiences that she can talk about. Yeah, so I think, you know, really we keep going back. It doesn't matter what it is. Exactly. We're talking of dancing all around these same fundamental questions, which are um, how to show up and meet the state that we or the person who we're caring for in that moment is in with cues of safety so that the, there's enough ventral vagal energy to feel grounded and to feel space to naturally mobilize on, an, on its own. Um, again, you know, Cameron has told us so beautifully that you can't tell a turtle to come out of its shell. Um, or, you know, a, when we're spinning in a sympathetic place or imagine the part of us that's a little kid kind of bouncing off the walls and uh, wanting things to be different than they are, you know, it's not a rational place to be. This is, this is our biology, as Cameron said, this is our autonomic nervous system. Um, meeting the moment uh, in a way that uh, it feels is protecting us the best. So I think, um, you know, when we talk about a dorsal state and we are using, say, gemotherapy extracts to help one mobilize, I think that that feels disorganized when it feels untethered. Um, because we go into protection. As soon as we feel untethered or lack of foundation, we go back into protection. And that might be back down into dorsal or it might be into sympathetic, but immediately upon feeling destabilized, um, we're going to shift again back into protection. And so I think, you know, we've explored these different ways to show up, you know, the Kind of the the hand that helps you mobilize versus the being with energy and we've related these to the gemotherapy extracts um, and i think we're getting closer to understanding that we need to meet the person where they are instead of offering them change oh yeah yeah that i think we're i think we're there megan um you know karen really blew my mind last week when we had a conversation that often that that be with energy can also feel unsafe never had that occurred to me Cameron can you talk a little bit about that yeah it really is fascinating it's led me to so much curiosity because it's all about how a system has 
been tuned and toned and what that survival response needs biologically were. And particularly in complex trauma, while we're wired for survival and we're wired for connection, survival is going to win out every time because if we're not here, there's not much question about connection. But it can become over the developmental traumas of not enough or, or too much that connection in and of itself can feel dangerous to a system. It's not a thought. It, it, it's a biology that really gets caught in that push-pull of wired for connection, need connection for survival, need connection for well-being and change. But again, it's it's scary. So so often all of us intend well-intended human beings and practitioners are offering connection and then it's very destabilizing. It's very scary. And, and it's very confusing to us as practitioners and also to the other autonomic nervous systems. Like that's a place where I've seen more cases of defeat. Somebody's offering me help and I'm and I can't accept it. What's wrong with me? Somebody's offering me a, 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 something to try and, and and my system's destabilizing. What's wrong with me? Yeah. And it's biology. Yeah. Yeah. And but the the question presents itself that then what, right? Because what what I'm hearing you say is what really feels safe is being mobilized. Maybe not necessarily. It might be what one is familiar with. Right, right. So let's talk about that because we, we sort of played with that idea a little bit. Yeah. Well, if you think of there's, in the hierarchy, we have... Um, ventral vagal well regulated by, by that prefrontal cortex and that ability to be curious and have perspective. When we dysregulate for however long, the first step down the ladder is to mobilization. Then the question is developmentally, was that, did that support the, the biology of survival? In a lot of cases, it didn't. To be you know out there and, and, and having a tantrum or fighting back or biting your sibling or whatever. So many systems then take that further trip down the ladder into that dorsal vagal state of just detachment, hiding in plain sight, rest and recharge, but just safely out of sight. Because of the hierarchy, our system comes back up again. So we will pass through, there's no way around it, an experience of mobilization on the way back up the ladder. So for some systems, if that mobilization starts occurring on the way back up the ladder. It is the way. However, it may be neurocepted, perceived as dangerous, as too much, as not organized. So in order to really help that system back into a firm regulation, we have to find a way where the invitation through safety is there to come up through mobilization in a way that it's not overwhelming and to keep that system coming up that ladder into the ventral vagal state. Mm -hmm. So how do you put in, and my favorite word is the guardrails. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the system that doesn't have that those cues for safety, those invitations for safety will come up, it'll be too overwhelming, and then it will go back down into its conservation mode in dorsal vagal. It, but it's it's beginning to seem to me we have to offer those guardrails and squeeze them in the turtle shell before any mobilization occurs. Like, because 
if if every time I pop my head out, I get a cue that it's dangerous and I go back in, this is going to, you know, this is just going to be my pattern. And, and I think this gets into this, you know, idea I was having of maybe there's really a third energy that we need to be offering. Megan, what house is spinning with you? Yeah, I think this exploration of the third energy, you know, I, I can't say that I have an opinion on that yet, but I think it's certainly uh, worthy of exploration because what you just briefly called, you know, an I am energy, regardless of if that's still how you're talking about it in your mind, what that is implying is that is implying a piece of ventral energy in there because I am is a connection to self. Mm -hmm. And in dorsal, not only do we lose our connection to our greater community or, you know, are the people who are meaningful in our lives, but we also lose the connection to our in the, you know, the body keeps the score. He really talks a lot about one of the ways to shift this kind of round and round pattern is mindfulness mm -hmm. because it creates a sort of safe way to have a sense of ourselves, but also in a sort of just an observing curious kind of way. There are so many intricate components to mindfulness that almost sort of, um, bypass some of the pieces that normally trigger states of protection. Um, because when you're observing, you feel a little bit of protection from it because you're just observing. But yet it's almost, if you see it, videos of, you know, Cameron, I don't know if you practice like this too, but the videos of Deb, when she's saying to somebody, well, can, can you bring me there with you when they go down into dorsal and they're describing it as a cave or what, whatever their, their personal individual experience of dorsal is. And she's offering them co-regulation and offering them just the, just another autonomic nervous system to bring a little bit of ventral with them. Can I go there with you? And I think that almost does the same thing where it bypasses some of the normal places where we might jump back into a protective state and bring just a little bit of a cue of safety with us. Wow. You know, Megan, this, the more that I'm hearing you, this actually underscores my idea that I have that, that we, there is a third energy because if we are inviting an energy in our ventral energy in to allow us to feel safe enough to move up and please jump in Cameron if I'm not using um, uh, good language here to explain this for poly to represent polyvagal theory but if we're inviting this in, but we haven't um, embodied our own physical being before, then we of course would feel safe, unsafe when we leave. Whether we're going um, immobilizing, whether we have a be with energy with us, or we have a um, lead me out energy. If I'm not even, in my own body, neither of those would be feel safe. 
Cameron, I know you've had some direct experience with this. What, how does this resonate? Would this answer some questions for you? Well, and I think in general, and yes, for me too, um, in general, it's often systems do not have that felt experience of regulation, of safety, of being safely connected and that be with so that, you know, that's really what we're, we're trying to offer is that new experience that we can be curious with together and it has to be wrapped in safety. Mm -hmm. So then we can, as Megan was suggesting, it's that different energy of, of, of being with and, and finding, you know, what are the elements of safety and what does it take? Because we're looking basically now for new experience, but for, for that curiosity and knowing that the autonomic nervous system wants to go there. That again, it, it reflects on the hierarchy. If it's given enough cues for safety, it will go there. But what are those just little, little glimmer moments uh, of being able to acquire new experience that aren't gonna be overwhelming? I mean, I think of the, the turtle, you know, it, and if it starts to pop out its head, which the hierarchy says it will happen and, and there's nothing threatening, but it might notice in the far corner, it sees a, 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 a little bug or something moving, it might start to get curious. And then we have a system that's on its way. And I think of the, the children's books, um, The Little Prince, where the, the little prince on the planet made ties with, with the fox and, and how in small, small increments, they, they developed a relationship that was safe connection, but neither of those two systems knew it originally or much less knew how to do it. And I think that, you know, I talk about my work. Why did I get passionately involved with working with trauma, complex trauma? Because I am a person, an autonomic nervous system that had one of those sensitive systems from my own history. You know, in Elaine, Duncan's book when she talks the uh, the Dow trauma and she does um, a lot of hands-on work mm -hmm. and she presents different strategies in the book and one of the strategies that she presents is that often um, when we're working in a place that's soft tissue it feels more vulnerable to touch so she recommends holding joints or places that where you can access and get close to the bone level because that feels more secure and firming and foundational physiologically that's how that's interpreted so you might hold the elbow joint because that feels like support physiologically to the system opposed to rubbing around in the soft tissue could be, you know, tactile, that the tactile sensation of that might be very triggering. So that's just another analogy for how we're, how the autonomic nervous system is interpreting each moment that if we can find a way to, you know, hold the foundation and the bones and without activating something that feels vulnerable, right? There, it, there, there's always a path. We just need to find it. Yeah. Yes, Megan. Yes. And we feel so close, right? I mean, it feels right here. 
I think for our listeners, because we've been speaking on a very philosophical view of this and in theory, I'd like to bring it down to some tangible experiences. Um, and, and Cameron, we're gonna um, invite you to share a little bit um, and, and you know, maybe the two of us can go back and forth between you know, my making suggestions and, and your experience. And do you mind if I just start with you know, my view of, so how, how this got started was Cameron's been um, um, such a curious spirit as she's listened to Megan and I um, go on and on about gymotherapy that um, she want, you wanted to try yourself. And, 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 and one of the extracts that felt really appealing that offers a be with energy, gives all the cues of safety to the heart is Hawthorne. And if we just looked at it on its what it does physiologically and in theory, what it offers the body should have been, could have been exactly what you were looking for. And that was not your experience. No, and, and it, it reminded me of how important it is to understand all systems are different because I took one drop for two days and was really looking forward to all that wonderful effect that typically Hawthorne has. And it was entirely too much for my system. Yeah. yeah. So Cameron, and then, and kind of, instead of mentioning it, I, I, I slunked off and further dubbed myself as untreatable and didn't make a mention of it mm-hmm. until yeah. Lauren got curious. <laughs> what was your experience? I felt like I'd had four cappuccinos and I, I just was like buzzy, buzzy, buzzy and disoriented and, and, and did not feel safe. Yeah. So uh, listeners, if you have listened to any of our recordings and this has been your experience opposite of what this juicy goodness we're offering, this is your time. Okay. Um, Cameron, I, you know, right away what I said was, oh, I'm really interested now, right? And that curiosity was that invitation that also offered that that safety. So I'm like, oh, okay, me too. Yeah. I can afford to be curious. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, this wasn't the first time and I'm sure Megan, you've had these, you know, where you get this polar experience and you think, okay, I misread something, you know, we do the same thing from the practitioner side. I missed a cue, I didn't get it, I should have. And, and the truth is exactly what you said. Um, every system is different. And even every complex trauma system is different because what makes each of us feel safe is different. And, and consistent with complex trauma, often that change is experienced, neuroception is experienced dangerously. So even an invitation might be overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what I I thought about was doing something that would from uh, reading a Materia Medica seem uh, counterintuitive. I said, let's try a tonic. uh, hand out, leading you out, but 
a tonic that is specifically working on the adrenal glands and a tonic that it's, um, it, it, what it's known for is um, optimizing the sympathetic state. So what it's known for is to make all the things that mobilization does to the body happen effectively so you can regulate and come back into homeostasis. This extract was black currant. Cameron, what was your experience there? Well, I was then back on the, on the cues, let's try something. And um, I remember the first day I felt some spaciousness, some, some sort of calm, some sort of, you know, this, you know, wonderful, something was shifting. And, and day two, I still felt one drop in the morning and hadn't thought about later in the day, but again, and then it was the third day that I took my one drop in the morning and within the hour and something we hadn't talked about is that I routinely for decades have taken Concerta, which is an amphetamine-based stimulant, because what I imagined was probably a, a adrenaline depletion was diagnosed as ADHD. I couldn't focus, I couldn't. And it, all that day I had such marked symptoms of, again, that it was too much. I mean, I just felt anxiously, claustrophobically, ah, like I'd had you know, too, way too many cappuccinos. And, and um, you know, really I had to sort of walk myself through it. This is, I was massively overstimulated as opposed to, you know, I needed to run screaming from my own biology. Um, and then we came back to being curious again. Yeah, yeah. So Cameron, we met and um, you suggested, okay, I'm going to try to do every other day, Concerta Black Current. And um, that seemed to work, except towards the end of your day, you were having this crashing on the days you took the Concerta, correct? Yeah. And I did what I felt like, you know, I was all set to step away from this amphetamine based treatment and, and didn't give, because I'm not a psychiatrist knowing my medications, enough credit to abruptly changing a dosage of a, a medication like that is in itself, you know, will bring cues of unregulation. Right. So I think we, we came back to alternating that, but yeah, I had already, even previous to any general exploration, noticed that when I came off of Concerta, which was usually mid to late afternoon, it affected my circulation. I have that Ray knows, but it was really a dorsal vagal response. And um, so we played with that. And you offered me the opportunity to try two gemos on my non-concerted days. So we're now alternating. And you specifically asked me when I tried the second one, can you remember which ones was? one? The second one was fig. The first you one was dog rose. And dog rose, right. Yes. And um, really felt that it, they made me irritable in sort of a cranky way, but it was it was a not enough way. I mean, I think the comment that went through my mind when I tried the dog rose was, "That's the best you can give." I'm mean, like, "Come on!" <laughs> and but this is my biology talking, and I'm like, "It doesn't make sense." Um, and but it, it, the question you asked me was it pleasing to my system, mm -hmm. and more notable with the dog rose, but then also with the fig that, that it was not a pleasing experience. It was a, a kind of 
not enough that led to that dysregulation of, of more mobilized energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then, oh, I'm sorry, Cameron, go ahead. I know what, well, it, it just blew my mind because you suggested that I try um, continuing my experiment with a concerted day and a gemo day. And you suggested that um, I could use the black current actually uh, on the concerted day or, or if necessary on the other, but much later in the afternoon. And then you suggested, because we mused together about a system that has become somewhat dependent on mobilization for safety. And that it was weak because you were right when you asked the question initially and what my system fundamentally missed developmentally was that being with energy. So we, we both kind of presumed that's what my system needed, but then it proved that it was, it was destabilizing. It was scary. It was that wiring for connection that wasn't working. And so then you brought me into trying um, the silver, what was it? Silver birch seed. Yes, thank you. I will learn one of these days. Um, and using that as an alternative to the concerta uh, on my GEMO day, because I have a system that's utilized that mobilization for, for active survival. And we talked together, which was so powerful that sometimes when you make a change, when you, you're, you're building a, a rebuilding a, a bridge, you have to almost build a separate bridge in order to work on the existing roadway. And I feel like that's given me tremendous places of hope, but mostly in curiosity, because my system actually is now about a week into it, really come to kind of like this. I have a concerted and I can mitigate the challenges of coming off that stimulant. And then I have a silver birch seed day. And right now my system is doing pretty darn well. And it's just sort of looking at stability. And I think we are building that bridge so that we can work on some of the original developmental challenges. You know, this speaks so beautifully to meeting the system where it is. Yes. Yeah, Megan, it, I mean, that's so true. And, but the light bulb just went off was I was imagining what Cameron's systems, system needed, right? Sure. I was, I, because she needed this be with, right? Her system needed to be harmonized, but it wasn't there yet. It had been trained to from medication to mobilize. And that has become the safe place. Yeah. Yeah. So my thinking right now is we mobilize with something like silver birch seed, which uses the body's innate intelligence to regulate, which Concerta does not have the capability to to modulate this and then start bringing in be with energy to um, once, once you feel ready for that. And we do that with some of the, the other extracts. Megan, what comes it, up for you? Yeah, interestingly, I wonder if in this phase, 
you know, Cameron's system is now giving the nod that it's feeling re-regulated somewhat with what she's taking now. And I wonder now if this re-regulation will in and of itself bring about some ventral downregulation out of sympathetic without you needing to do that with gemos. You know what I mean? I wonder if she will, now that she feels safe in her mobilized place, mm -hmm. if some of that ventral energy, her hypermobilization can start to re-regulate mm -hmm. on its mm -hmm. own just because it's been met, you know, like the turtle coming out of its shell, you know, if, if, if we imagine it's the opposite and, you know, somebody's kind of too, got their sort of neck stuck out or something, because that's what they've all, they're used to, you know, that like when you feel safe, you can start to kind of refine your homeostasis and come back to calibration on its own. I don't know that that's going to happen, but I don't know that that next step of pointing it in the direction may or may not be necessary. That's part of the exploration. Sure. I have to jump in, Megan. <laughs> you have no idea because I haven't shared this with either one of you, but I was profoundly moved because I think your theory has merit, at least for my system, because right now I am, thanks to the, the cues I've been offered through both of you for this curiosity and what I've learned through polyvagal theory over almost a decade, is allowing me to remain curious while the following is happened. And a really profound moment for me, my curiosity is the wonderful recording we did with Terry. And, and she was feeling relatively stuck and, and felt much more in a dorsal vagal place. And at the end of the recording, we came to the conclusion she didn't need more stimulation. She could, was playing with that being with and allowing her system, as you're pointing out, to regulate itself and, and to, to move it up. So in the time that we've talked, um, what's happened for me is I really do feel there's a, an invitation that my system is admitting to what I, I could call through another lens, you know, a, adrenal fatigue, too much, too much, too much. I can feel in the stories are all interesting, but my system is really experiencing that, that deep fatigue but not with a cue for danger. And go figure, this little turtle who, who has been poking its neck out is struggling with a structural neck issue right now of instability. But with the, the, the lens of curiosity and with the work with the gemos, I'm actually tolerating for the first time in my life a combination of soft tissue and chiropractic as being safe. Oh, wow. So I'm learning in a new way to poke my head up oh. and tolerate the instability and it's not being dangerous. You know, this is so powerful, Cameron. One of the things that really hit me um, in Elaine Duncan's book was that in the section where she talks about the bladder and the kidney, you know, the emotion associated with those is fear. And one of the beautiful things that she talks about, we know that bladder offers a container or a storage for our fluids. And she talks about bladder energy in the body offering a container for our fear. 
And that when something is off, the fear then seeps out into the rest of our life. Now, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because it seems like as we're exploring this, one of the questions that I'm exploring and looking at is when we meet the system where it is, does that then offer, create energetically a natural container for it? Yeah. That sounds spot on to me, Megan, and time will tell, right? (laughs) Wow. Wow. You know, I feel so honored every week to spend this time with you all. And, you know, you'd think this gets old, but it just gets juicier and better and richer. And, um, and Cameron, I, I, I really am just, um, amazed at how brave you are at, and, and showing up and, and sharing your experience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, because my biology is feeling met with curiosity and safety, it, I'm not taking this personally. It's not a, a matter of acquiring more shame, which believe me, I have plenty of. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's a wonderful privilege and, and a journey of exploration that I am just delighted, profoundly delighted to be on with you both. Great. Great. Ladies, thanks so much. And listeners, um, well, thank you. Um, I still want to invite you all to send in questions. We'd love to answer your questions. Um, I hope this conversation um, sparked some particular interest. You can uh, mail them in to lauren at laurenhubele.com and just put podcast question in the subject line. So ladies, thank you very much. And we'll see you all again next week.